And now, it's Health Naturally with herbalist and natural therapist, Dennis Stewart. Dennis, today you've spoken a lot about using herbs um, to treat many different diseases, mm. but we're going to talk about where you see herbal medicine working best. Well, we will. We'll attempt to do that, Jane, but I think before we actually get there, I'd like to just talk to the listeners about a very interesting uh, incident that happened this week that is related to something we spoke about on this program a number of months ago. So a good program today looking at in interesting and important areas where herbal medicine is used but also reflecting on a very fascinating incident. A little story, something that mm. happened this week. Oh, something very fascinating and something very rewarding. Um, my rooms at New Lambton have a particular smell about them at the best of times, which is pleasant and very herbally based. But uh, yesterday I went in and I uh, was a bit overwhelmed uh, by the smell of garlic. Now, we use a lot of garlic in my practice for obvious reasons, particularly in a liquid form, but um, the, the, the scent of garlic was very, very strong and it puzzled me. Sometime during the morning, my receptionist, dear Karen, brought in a little package, a little box, and in that box was a lovely selection of freshly picked garlic. A dear listener who uh, has a little property, a place called Brunkerville. Brunkerville is just over the hill as you uh, come up from Freeman's Waterhole. You go down the hill and before you come to Mulbring, a fascinating little place called Brunkerville and this gentleman at Brunkerville, um, I noted or noticed him as I frequently travelled up and down that hill as one who was growing garlic. And I think we may have even spoken to him on the program and I gave him some encouragement uh, to do that. Well, I've watched the progress of that remarkable crop of garlic that this dear man, this dear listener from Brunkerville had in the ground very impressed with it and then recently we noticed that it had gone and my wife's a little bit puzzled she thinks that in its place potatoes might might have been planted but we'll wait to get some feedback from this dear man he very very graciously very graciously packaged up some of his harvested garlic which would have to be some of the best garlic around the place presently. I guarantee it's all been scooped up. But I got a little box of it, and I'm very, very appreciative of it. And I would like to just thank the gentleman and say whenever he has any product that he has anything to spare, don't forget your old mate from 2NUR. <laughs> no, thank you very, very much. And indicated, by the way, the way in which the growing of herbs and probably one of the most important medicinal herb, garlic, is something that's still happening, and I encourage those with a bit of land to take seriously the discussions we've had during the year on the potential associated with growing medicinal herbs as a little cash crop. A lovely story and plenty of good garlic coming your way. Peter has rung in from Fassifern, 49216216. Peter, your question's about green tea. Oh, good morning, Dennis. Hello, um, Peter. Uh, I'm a regular, and 
for the last year. You've helped me enormously on my rot of the virus. Thank you. You've got me, you've got me back to nearly perfect health. Thank you. But, uh, uh, and the magic Bible, the, for this, the fight cancer, you took me into buying. And, uh, oh, yes. Great the work. Books, Great work. all the time. Yes, yes. I've, uh, the last process, you might say, I got onto the green tea two yes. months ago. yes. Followed the directions, got the best Japanese censure. Good, good. Uh, tea, good, good. and uh, followed that, and I have drank quite a lot of that during the day. Yes. And I picked up an extra 5% self, and I just can't believe that... Uh, you have picked that, up, say that again, you have... Well, I was up to about 92%, I'm up to 95% okay. for me again. <laughs> okay. Okay. So, so you, you think the remarkable green tea has given you that additional nudge in the right direction? Look, I, I think you're probably on a pretty good program now. By the way, I'm not far behind you, yeah, and uh, I, I, I also drink a lot of uh, tea and green tea. Yeah, I'm a great yeah. believer in it. In yeah. fact, I, I would encourage listeners who haven't heard my discussions about foods that fight cancer to look on the net or in the literature mm. to, at the information that's there to substantiate the argument that the regular, simple, daily drinking of green tea has a significant immunological effect and can be seen, seen incredibly, very credibly, to build up some degree of resistance, particularly to certain forms of cancer. Now, I know that's a big call, but you know that I have been very, very much impressed by Gingras and Bellevue's book, Foods That Fight Cancer, right. where green tea is put there in a very, very sensible and credible scientific form as being something that should be incorporated regularly into our diet. Now, look, I'd like to say something here too. There seems to be these days an attempt to increasingly turn a lot of foods and things into a tablet or a capsule. The green tea reputation was built on the simple, regular, consistent drinking of green tea. Uh, and try, listeners, wherever possible, to get back to using simple preparations because not always when a substance is concentrated and extracted and turned into a tablet or pill can we guarantee that it will live up to its reputation that its traditional use is established. That will be one of my points of emphasis during next year, the, the way in which we have to be cautious about assuming that a food or a herb, when it is extracted and concentrated, necessarily has the same benefits or activity as that when it occurs in a more natural form. I encourage listeners, Peter, to do exactly what you have done with green tea. Take notice that the Japanese green tea seems to have the best reputation, particularly according to the two Canadian writers. Get on to that and enjoy it. I think when you're doing that, you're on the money to get the benefit from green tea. Well done, Peter. I'll see what else I can think up for you next year to get you a little bit closer to, to that magic nudge that you're looking for. And uh, Carol uh, has rung in from Taro. Your question's about blood pressure, Carol. Oh, hello, Dennis. Hello, Carol. How are you? I haven't been very well. We're oh, old dear, friends. dear, dear, dear. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm having trouble with my blood pressure. It's okay. floating up to 200 and then back down again. Oh, dear, dear, so. dear. 
Now, hasn't been good. Okay. Now, obviously, obviously, you're working with your your doctor on this, are you? Yes, yes. Okay. But he's been on holiday, so I've seen another doctor, and he he doubled my medication. Okay. Look, which really just about knocked me out and everything. So. Well, well, blood pressure can go up and down, and blood pressure frequently reflects a lot of what's going on in our life. But fortunately, fortunately, uh, even though our blood pressure can go up and down on most occasions. Our good GPs and, and certainly our excellent cardiologists can work out a program that will essentially overcome your concern and put you on a more balanced program. Under no circumstances, Carol, uh, should you do anything other than what your general practitioner or cardiologist tells you to do. Because as you would appreciate, blood pressure can be a silent killer and I discourage any listener from doing anything other than what might be recommended by their GP, other than simple things, simple things yeah. that might be able to help. For instance, there's a couple of little things that you might be able to take on board, which I'm sure your general practitioner would concur with. The first right. thing to take on board is that blood pressure can certainly reflect tension, anxiety and stress. Yep. Now, what I'm going to say is that Years ago, people would have laughed and, and, and joked and ribbed people that were practising meditation. Yeah. Now, I hold the opposite view. I believe that meditation, uh, if taught correctly, can have remarkable relaxant effects which can, which can benefit the body in many ways and maybe contribute to a better management of blood pressure. One of the things I would recommend that you talk to your GP about is meditation. I was interested, right. I was interested the other day when I had a, a, a patient present to me who had been going through some mental health problems. And the fascinating thing was that her psychologist, or it may have been her psychiatrist, amongst other things, recommended that she undergo or learn how to do simple meditation. And it is a simple procedure. So one of the first things I'd recommend is look at the process of meditation and set aside a particular period of time each day just to meditate, just right, to yeah. meditate. We are, all of us are living lives that are too fast, too hectic and too stressful. Take, right, yeah. take time out. Principle number one. The, sec yeah. the second thing is, and these are things that your GP will probably agree with, I'm not in any way at all interfering with your medical management. But the second thing is this. There does seem to be significant evidence out there suggesting that a change in diet, particularly in the direction of vegetarianism, may have some benefits in reducing blood pressure. Statistically, it's been shown that those whose diet is oriented more towards vegetarianism tend to have... Uh, lower cholesterol levels and also sometimes very significantly lower levels of blood pressure. So I'm going to suggest again that you uh, talk uh, to your doctor about, say, getting a referral to a dietitian, oh, or, or also uh, contacting uh, the Seven Day Adventists, which are excellent uh, right. workers at the community level who can encourage you to diversify your diet a bit and look at uh, including a more vegetable or vegetarian emphasis, keeping in mind that I believe, I believe 
that a diet that's very, very heavily oriented towards animal protein is a diet that could contribute to blood pressure elevation. That's a, pers right. that's a personal view uh, yes. based on my reading on the, on, on the subject. But I'd interest listeners to know that the Swiss doctor, uh, Dr. Dr. Ralph Berker, who's dead now, but who formed the, the Berker Banner Clinics in, in Switzerland, they are still functioning, uh, carrying out his, his teachings. He discovered when he took wealthy um, but unwell um, Europeans, when he took them into his clinic and put them onto a vegetarian emphasis, that their blood pressure became better controlled. Now, I throw that in, I know it's controversial, but I come back to the point that I believe there's evidence to suggest that a diet rich in fruits and vegetables and perhaps diminished in the amount of animal protein we eat may help manage that. And the third thing is, look at simple things. Your doctor's probably told you about this, but nearly everything we eat, and I, I emphasise that a little bit, and go yeah, on it, yeah. we have too much salt in it. Right, well, I, don't, I don't eat salt. But look at what foods you might purchase that have salt in and them. Look at the salt in them. I'll, get, I'll tell you a little personal story. Um, a couple of years ago, more than a couple of years ago now, my good, my good GP on the Central Coast, a long-term friend of mine who's actually studied under me, uh, said, Dennis, you're type 2 diabetic. I said, I don't believe that. He said, you are, look at this. And I was taken back. How can I be a type 2 diabetic? But in any case, I took it seriously. And what I did very, very significantly was begin to alter my diet and eating habits, my drinking habits, and also uh, took on board some of the recommendations, again, in some of the books on uh, diet and blood pressure, which suggested that we should all become aware of the amount of salt and, equally importantly, the amount of sugar in the food chain. I was stunned. One of my favourite breakfasts used to be baked beans on toast. But when, when I saw the amount of sugar that was in the baked beans that I'd been using for a very significant period of time, I nearly passed out. What I'm trying to say here is a lot of our health problems, I believe, and maybe even blood pressure, may have a lot to do with the amount of things in the diet, particularly salt. So there's a few little hints, Carol, both for you and listeners. As far as helping your doctor manage your blood pressure, learn to control the stress and anxiety that we're all confronted with. Think about doing some meditation. Secondly, look at your eating habits and include more fruits and vegetables and maybe uh, become a vegetarian a couple of days a week. It wouldn't hurt us. And thirdly, look at what you're eating and with blood pressure, um, look at those foods that are not contaminated with huge amounts of salt. Look, I thought a lot about this um, as the years come to an end. The, the area where I think herbal medicine can make probably one of its, well, some of its major contributions. It's interesting that here we are in a modern 21st Western society with a modern medical system, and here we are looking at the oldest system of medicine known to mankind, which is herbal medicine, and looking at ways in which it still can help in healthcare, and particularly in addressing some of the problems 
for which mainstream medicine may not always have the answer. I thought a lot about it and I thought, look, one of the areas where herbal medicine is continuing to make a significant contribution is in the area of improving immunity. The number of times that I would hear in a week uh, people presenting and talking about uh, the need to improve their immune system is quite incredible. And by immunity, we basically mean the ability of the body's natural defence mechanisms to function so efficiently that they can safeguard against uh, frequent infections and indeed help fight serious pathologies existing in the body. And this is where I think herbs can be remarkable. Uh, people, for instance, uh, with depressed immunity, and by that I mean people that present with a history of recurring infections, one infection after another. There is where herbs have demonstrated and still demonstrate a recognised role in developing what the great German medical practitioner and herbalist Dr Rudolf Weiss referred to as non-specific enhancement of the immune system. That's a lovely term. And in this way, we talk about the way in which herbs non-specifically lift the game of the immune system and in many cases can demonstrate efficacy by seeing people more competent in fighting back infection. A couple of herbs we've mentioned frequently, frequently uh, during the year uh, and listeners uh, probably know as much about them now as I do as herbs like echinacea. A remarkable remedy still, 40 years in the profession and I'm still surprised every time I see the herb or use the herb and its reputation and the number of patients that have benefited over the years in using echinacea. I saw a patient the other day who came in, uh, well, the husband was the patient and the, uh, the, the wife came in with the, the husband and she said, um, you saw him many, many years ago and you treated him for boils. I said, oh, I did. She said, yes, I tr you treated him for boils and she said the leading herb you prescribed was echinacea. I said, well, if it's of any interest to you, Echinacea is still the key remedy, together with the herb Golden Seal, in dressing a condition where a staph infection frequently associated with boils and carbuncles is very, very confidently addressed and lessened, lessens in its virulence as a result of prescribing those two remarkable uh, North American herbs. We've also spoken about uh, the combination of astragalus 8, for helping people recover from things like glandular fever, for helping people build up their immunity uh, during processes of treatment for cancer, of helping uh, sustain their immune functioning after serious infections. It's in the area of immunity that I still argue that herbs have a remarkable role to play, usually in conjunction, of course, as a, as a companion system of medicine with the mainstream. And 49216216, the number for your questions, comments. Diane's rung in from Mayfield, and you've got something to say about salt, Diane. Good afternoon, yes. Hello, hello Diane. Hello. Um, I was just listening about um, the salt, and, yes. and my husband and I are reducing it a bit. Yes, Is yes. Himalayan salt yes. Um, going to do any better than... 
look, can we still use that? Look, my view on salt is salt is salt, sodium chloride, NaCl2. Um, my view is that it, it, it doesn't really matter uh, what sort of salt it is. Admittedly, some salts um, may have additional substances in them apart from sodium chloride, and that, that, that's fine. Um, but at the end of the day, at the end of the day, salt is salt. The good points yeah. associated with it pertain to all salts. And, of course, the downside to it is that it can also apply to all salts. So if you're comfortable and feeling that the Himalaya salt you're using uh, is better or you feel better on it or you're getting additional uh, benefits from it, well, I'd say continue, but also take on board what I've said about the oh. need, the need to be vigilant. I use salt, but I use it yes. very, very sparingly because the, the other thing is this, that in a hot climate, particularly if you're an outside worker and you perspire a lot, your need for a bit of salt is obviously there. So I'm not, atta I'm not attacking salt per se. All that I'm saying is be aware that there is a downside to it and the overemphasis on salt um, needs to be addressed. So I remember growing up in this town when, when every, every uh, pot and pan that was on the stove was always laced with salt. <laughs> and these days I very rarely see or hear of, uh, of people who cook their beans and peas by throwing in a handful of salt. That's the sort of abuse that I w was talking about. Uh, but if you're getting a good feel and, and uh, you're confident about what you're using, you stay with it. And I suppose the pink colouring that you see... Oh, absolutely. Uh, ...that must make a difference, pink, Pink's it? a lovely colour. Pink's a lovely <laughs> Murray colour. Murray River salt has <laughs> pink in it as well. Oh, does it really? <laughs> and they do say we're helping Australia's salinity problem. Well, there you we go. OK. <laughs> OK, thanks for your question, uh, Diane. And uh, Sherry has rung in from Duns Creek and uh, Sebaceous Cyst is, um, is what you'd like to ask Dennis about. Hello, Sherry. Yeah. Hi, how are you? I'm well, indeed. How are you? Good, good. Getting there. I'm, it's Christmas and I'm delivering a very lot of mail. <laughs> <laughs> well okay. done. You're very much appreciated. That, look, Thank you. I, I would agree with that. Uh, I think our posties are some of the most underrated people in our society. It'll, it'll be a sad day if and when we ever lose the services of the postie. We've got to fight against that tendency. As we do. Good. <laughs> How can I help um, you? My question is, is that I've battled with sebaceous cysts yes. um, pretty much for the last, oh, I don't know, 10, maybe 15 years. Yes. Um, I do take an over-the-counter um, medication that, yes. that my doctor gave me, um, yes. doxycycline. Yes, that's an, um, that's, an, that's an antibiotic. Yes. Okay. Um, yeah. And that's a continual thing. I have to take one of those every single day just okay. to. So you've had a history, you've had a history a history of sebaceous cysts, and you've probably had many of them lanced. Um, no, some of them just sort of get to a point and they'll burst on okay. their own. Yeah. Look, I, um, I had one or two of those. Many, many, many years ago, um, I, ha I had one that was lanced and then another larger one occurred and I remember my GP at that stage saying, oh, look, I'll lance it for you, but it's, it's bound to come back or recur. Interestingly, it never has done. Um, what I would say in your situation is I would, if, if I were treating you, I would yep. treat it as if I was treating, uh, say, a boil, a carbuncle 
or any yeah. other or any other lesion that uh, evidence, if you like, pus. I don't want to turn it into a, a messy no, topic. No, that's what it is. That's what it is. Um, I would treat it along those lines. And if you were a patient of mine, I would make sure that you were on three herbs and you might jot it down because you may have a compounding pharmacist up there. The, 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 three, the, the three herbs that I would prescribe to anyone who was getting these recurrent uh, sebaceous cysts that are managed with antibiotics ongoingly, the three herbs would obviously be echinacea leading the pack, Yep. Reinforced by its wonderful running mate, the American herb Golden Seal. Yep. And then a herb that's not well known. Not well known. I know it well because uh, the dear Professor Elliot, who was the Emeritus Professor of Physics at this yep. university for many years, uh, he uh, grew the herb called Blue Flag. Okay. And he, he grew it commercially in conjunction with myself on his beautiful little herb farm that he retreated to with his dear wife when he retired from the university in Peach Orchard Road, Arimba. He grew yep. one, he grew wonderful echinacea, but he also grew a remarkable a herb called Blue Flag, which is actually Iris versicolor. It's a species of iris. Okay. And it's, it's remarkable when combined. And I don't want to turn this into an academic discussion, but uh, it's remarkable when it's combined with those two other herbs in the way in which it can break through years and years of recurring infections, boils, carbuncles and cysts. If you have a, a compounding pharmacist up there, he will know what I'm talking about. He may well have a dispensary, but uh, a long-term use of that should give you some encouragement and maybe some ability to break away from your dependence on the antibiotic. Hello, Dennis. Hello, Dennis. How are you? I'm well indeed. How can we help you? Um, I do suffer with gout, and I've been suggested that I take cherry juice concentrate. Mm, okay. Now, I said, yeah, okay, I'll, mm. and I'm on my second litre of it. Mm. The thing that puzzles me, it says to water it down. Okay. I think what you're, what you're, what you're talking about here is a, con a concentrate. That means the actual juice of the cherry has mm -hmm. been revved up so to speak that so right. it, it's it's it, it frequently happens in in the production of a product that you will extract say say for instance you might extract a a, a kilo of a yep. fresh cherry yep. and you get the juice right what can happen there is you can to an extent uh, concentrate that further down so that that one uh, kilo's juice can be reduced to say might be 250 mils the constituents are still there, yep. but the carrier substance, the liquid content of it, has been, if you like, a bit dehydrated. Now, yep. that's that's a common procedure that's done with many products, and, right. and quite legitimately, I've got no hassle with that. Right. Um, uh, what, what was being said here is the concentrate, if you do um, dilute it, you would still get a measured amount right. of the original uh, cherry extract or the cherry right. juice that uh -huh. has been extracted in a commercial process. I know, oh, I know the product you actually... Well, I know the product that I think... You, I know the product that you're using. And, Am I permitted uh, to say the brand? It's best if you don't. OK, right. <laughs> but uh, like there, are, there are numerous... Um, how can I call it? Uh, cherry juices, etc. Right. Yep. In, in the health food store or even in the supermarkets. But mm -hmm. I might 
uh, just come here again, come in here and give you a little bit of um, my experience. I'm a great fan, by the way, of of using uh, sensible amounts of cherry to build up prophylaxis or prevention against uh, a gout. This is no, in no way at all uh, putting down the the excellent medication that a doctor prescribes. Right. Xyloprim is usually prescribed for this condition and has frequently changed people's lives. I've got nothing against that, but I'm, I've also had exciting effects over the years of where people reluctant to stay on that medication indefinitely mm -hmm. have ventured to take seriously the literature that, he, that encourages a regular daily use of cherry or cherry extract. I've been enthused and interested in the way in which they have broken through the recurrence of gout and in one incredible instance in my rooms the use of, of a cherry concentrate in an encapsulated form, in an encapsulated form, right. in conjunction, in conjunction with uh, celery seed extract, uh, reversed an acute condition of gout that was so serious that it it was compromising the the gentleman's limb. It was so bad. By putting him on a, an encapsulated preparation, he got a result using that form of the of the cherry a commercially made ethically made registered encapsulated product mm -hmm. specifically designed to treat gout acutely or to to build, uh, to treat it prophylactically right i've seen a result like that that has forever convinced me and there's one of these days i'll write a story about the episode because this chap was able to eventually take up a holiday in Indonesia that he had planned, which had virtually uh, cancelled because of the serious nature of his gout. He got on the plane because of using a cherry capsule based on the concentrate of cherry, incorporating also the remarkable companion remedy, which is the, uh, the extract of celery seed. So I'm not disputing what you're taking, but I'm saying uh, in my experience... Now, uh, I'll be quick on this. I saw a gentleman yesterday from up uh, Pindima. Uh, he uh, presented a couple of weeks ago um, with a very, very bad active gout, which really should have been uh, treated with, with the mainstream. But like a lot of interesting people, he was reluctant to use the standard treatment for acute gout, which, which is colchicine and, and uh, an anti-inflammatory agent. So he said, well, what would you recommend? And I put him on this capsule that I spoke about I said, look, you better see me in a couple of weeks just to see what's going on. Yesterday he came in the condition completely resolved and took enough encapsulated pre preparations of cherry and celery seed extract probably to last him for a couple of months. It was such a remarkable confirmation of the ability of this herb, particularly in a concentrated form in this case, in an encapsulated form. Obviously, eating cherries also, the, the literature suggests if you can get fresh cherries, about 250, 250 grams of fresh cherries per day um, is, is, is the way to get a therapeutic effect. By using the concentrate that you're using or using an encapsulated preparation of it, you're bypassing the, the eating phenomenon and it's not always possible to get fresh cherries and it's a little bit cumbersome to have a, a, a cupboard full of jars of of cherries when you can get it simply in the concentrate 
or in the capsule, but you're talking to one who's completely converted uh, years ago as to the efficacy of cherries in building up prophylaxis. Den thank you very much for your call, Dennis. And, Dennis, we've, we're getting close to the end. A couple of oh, minutes dear. to go. Now, it's all gone. It's Jan, all gone. Jan did ring in a little bit earlier about okay, any I'll hints for, for help with anxiety. panic attacks. I'll be quick, Jan. I should spend a lot more time with you on this. But uh, the, the, the remedy that I would think above all others is a herb called motherwort. Motherwort for anxiety episodes is a good herb to, to use. Leon Uris Cardiaca is its botanical name, but readily available as motherwort. And Jenny, I noticed that you're there also with uh, recurrent or repetitive tonsillitis. Um, I can't see any reason why Astragalus 8 would be contraindicated if you're taking antibiotics, but you should always discuss that and get the concurrence of your GP. But with tonsillitis, I think you can do better by putting a little bit more emphasis of the herb echinacea. Echinacea mm. for tonsillitis. Thank you, Jenny, for your call as well. Uh, Greg has rung in to say he cured his gout in three weeks by having the juice of a lemon in a glass of water first thing every morning. Well, there you go. I'm glad you rang in, uh, <laughs> Greg. There's, there's a lot of use here <laughs> for fruits today. <laughs> Yay! <laughs> so, <laughs> Let's have fruits. And, and again, again, I have preached for years the usefulness of fresh lemon in the morning and a glass of warm water. It works wonders. I've got no doubt that it had an effect on the level of uric acid in your system. And just finally, Dennis, as we're entering our last minute, uh, we are coming to the end mm. of the year. A very happy Christmas sure. to you. And I'm sure I speak for mm. lots of our listeners mm. as well. And uh, got anything good going in the pipeline for oh, 2019? Look, I'm particularly fascinated in, in, a, in a herb uh, that is from Indonesia, which has a reputation for addressing kidney diseases. I'm interested in studying it, looking at it, and maybe doing a bit of clinical work with it in 2019. <laughs> but anyway, um, at this point, I'd like to thank you, dear Jane, for I, the excellence of your year. working with me. And, uh, and thank all those dear listeners that uh, have supported the program. I look forward to uh, being with Jane again next year and wish you all a happy and blessed Christmas and a very peaceful New Year. Thanks for listening to this podcast from 2NURFM at the University of Newcastle. Topics range from gardening to health, well-being, pet care, finance, business and travel. You'll find them all at 2NURFM.com.